just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Tuesday. Oh, we got a lot to talk about. From the 40 subpoenas sent out by the Department of Justice to those people close to Donald Trump, to an impromptu trip by Donald Trump to Washington, D.C., and then an impromptu meeting with nine or ten other accessories to his crimes. They all met on a hole on a golf course. They were all dressed the part, but what was interesting about it was there was only one guy with a golf club. In fact, there was no other golf equipment there. So why why did they all get to meet there just to jaw? Now, that'll be interesting to talk about, and that's coming up. And then there, of course, is the elephant in the room, if you will. It's regarding the podcast I did with the Trump Lafuck, Brian Wallenberg. I was anxious to do it. I know you were anxious to hear it. And the reviews are mixed. (laughs) There's some people that didn't like it, some people that did like it. And I think the people who didn't like it um, were expecting something different. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But I wanted to uh, tell you something personal, uh, how I may have gotten a brand new nickname. Now, those of you that listen or watch TikToks or listen to the podcast, some people think of me as the Rational Boomer, and that was never my intention. I am not the Rational Boomer. There is no the Rational Boomer. I am a Rational Boomer, just as you all are Rational Boomers. It's it's a title. It's not a moniker or nickname for me. Now, that said, some of you will refer to me as Rational Boomer or as Boomer, and that's fine. But I I just don't want you to think that I gave myself this title. I I didn't. That wasn't the intention. Now, that said, I did have a nickname bestowed upon me over the weekend by my granddaughter, my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. It's not as lofty as Rational Boomer, but she did pull it out and she did bestow it upon me. I went to a soccer game this weekend for my grandson. He's 10 years old. He's playing soccer. It's always fun to watch him play sports. And, of course, his sister, my granddaughter, two-and-a-half-year-old little granddaughter, is there. And, honestly, she's a fucking pistol. She's constantly moving, constantly talking, and I love that about her. You know, as much as her parents are kind of laid back, This poor girl's got more of a personality like me. (laughs) She's definitely my side of the family. Now, where she's not my side of the family is her speed. She's literally got world-class toddler speed because she's hard to catch up to. Trust me, I've had to do it. Well, she enjoys being chased. She loves running around and stuff. And we always goof around together and uh, make faces at one another and do all that stuff. Well, on this particular day, she wanted me to chase her, which I would normally accommodate. Uh, The fact of the matter is, if she takes off, I got to chase her anyway, so what the hell? So anyway, I'm standing around talking to her dad, my son, and 
and uh, she's standing there trying to get my attention, and she runs up a few feet, and she looks back at me with this devilish smile, and she looks at me and says, Grandpa Poopy Butt. (laughs) She's taunting me now. So now I got to chase her, and I do chase her, and we have fun, and we chase all over the place till one point where she wants to get on the field. Well, needless to say, I can't let her get on the field, so I get in front of her and stop her. Well, for whatever reason, this pissed her off. I mean, she's really upset. She's crying. She runs over her to her dad, and he picks her up and She's crying, and I walk over to her, and she's really mad at me, and she says, go, 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 go like, go away. <laughs> and my son's upset because he thinks she's hurting my feelings. She's not. I mean, I've had kids. I've been married for 39 years. I've heard far worse than that, and I never paid attention to it. So anyways, as she's upset, and she's looking at me in the face, and she's really mad at me, I, I looked at her, and I said, poopy butt. (laughs) And she stops crying immediately and she kind of smirks and she looks up at her dad like, you said that in front of dad. I said, yep, I said it in front of your dad. In fact, your dad is a poopy butt. And she opened her mouth wide like, oh my God, you didn't say that. (laughs) So at least in the eyes of my granddaughter, I am grandpa poopy butt. I didn't, I didn't gain that by any demonstrative way. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not in continent or anything like that, but um, but that was her way to taunt me and get me to chase her. And if she wants to call me Grandpa Poopy Butt, I'm cool with that. She can do whatever the hell she wants to do. Anyway, enough of the side stories. Let's talk about the podcast I did with Brian Wallenberg. Now, I talked about it a little bit when I did the show with Eddie, the last show. A lot of people were interested in his response. He didn't hear the show, but he and I both know Brian Wallenberg from way back. He was a kid that was at a radio station we worked at. He was a student. We were a professional staff. And he was the kind of kid that, you know, needed a lot of help. And, and, you know, we were decent about it. And we tried to help him out, Ed especially. Because he was around Brian more than I was. Um, And we would never think of going after the kid. We kind of felt bad for him because, well, whatever reason. You probably heard in the podcast. Anyhow, I'd pretty much forgotten about uh, Brian Wallenberg. In my previous Facebook, my personal Facebook page, I would make comments about Donald Trump. And, of course, he is a Trump humper, so he'd jump on and he'd start saying shit. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty gutsy call from a kid who couldn't get out from out of the rain if he wanted to. But he kept doing it, and it got annoying, so I blocked him. But then... I'd forgotten about him, and then I had the Rational Boomer Facebook page, and somehow he cropped up. And I knew he had a podcast. I tried to listen to the podcast, but it is unlistenable in my opinion, mainly because the information was not true and it was poorly presented. That's just me, and I'm not trying to put the kid down. It's it's just a fact. That's what it is. 
So he'd come back on the Rational Boomer page and he'd say some shit, trying to stir some things up. And then one time he says, oh, it's funny you were talking about that, Mike, because I just talked about it in my podcast. And he put his link in there. So I'm thinking, all right, all bets off, man. You offered to do a debate with me at one time and you backed out. So I taunted him until he agreed to do this one. Now, I want you to understand, I don't hate Brian Wallenberg. I have a little sympathy for him. But at the same time, if you attack me, if you attack uh, anybody in my family, I'm going to fight back. And if you think you're so smart and you think you can beat me, okay, fine. Show up and let's see how it goes. Now, I think a lot of people who listened to that podcast thought this was going to be a battle that uh, we were going to go toe-to-toe and argue about this thing, and it was going to be a good fight. Now, never in my wildest dreams did I think that was going to be the case. I knew I knew he wasn't dealing with facts or truth. I knew he wasn't incredibly articulate. But he is the one guy that said, fuck it, I'll talk to you. So I said, okay. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't easy on him in that podcast, but I was a lot easier than I could have been. I laid off him a little bit. I tried to be as respectful as I could. And, you know, Brian's not a confrontational guy, which is contrary to what we think of when we think about Trumplifux. So I knew this was kind of a weird situation. So anyway, I put it out there. A lot of people heard it. Some people liked it. Some people didn't. So let's look at some of the emails I got about Brian and the, what did I call it, uh, Boomer... Boomer v. Trumplifuck or Trumplican. <clears throat> anyway, first email comes from Roy. Now, you'll remember Roy was on the show recently, and this is all he writes. At 20 minutes, 15 seconds, I could not take any more of your interview with Brian Wallenberg. Keep doing what you're doing and leave these idiots to believe what they believe. Best regards, Roy. <laughs> Okay, Roy, you didn't. You forgot something. When when would you like me to have him on again? <laughs> Next one comes from Mike. Dude, congratulations on getting a Trumplafuck on the show for a debate. Holy shit, he could not have bought a clue as far as today's political arena. Your patience was tested, and I'm glad you could deal with his half-assed conspiracy theories based opinions. Anyway, great show. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to Eddie's take on it. I hope he listens and has another take on it. Take care, Mike. Now, what I was going to say, too, and I said this when I was talking to Eddie, people were expecting a battle, and that's not what happened. And again, I'm not surprised. The real reason for me doing this had nothing to do with having a good fight or a good debate. I knew that wasn't going to happen. I had enough confidence in myself and knew enough about Brian that I knew that wasn't going to happen. What I did was to illustrate who a Trump fuck is. You know, bullies will yell and scream things and taunt and talk about civil wars and how tough they are and how smart they are, and they talk louder and longer than everybody. And I think at some point, Democrats give these clowns too much credit. It's all bluster. It's not real. So by talking to Brian, you get a sense of what a Trumplefuck is really about. Now, I'm not saying that he is representative of all Trumplefucks. But I would say he's part of a vast majority. They aren't tough, they aren't smart, and they aren't strong. 
And as long as we know this, there should be no fear going into battle, whether it be the midterms, a debate, or what have you. I really wanted to expose Trumplefux for who they are. And I think <laughs> people have said to me, well, you, wait till, you should have got a good Trumplefuck to talk to. Well, I think that was a good example of a typical Trumplefuck. There isn't a good Trump fuck. There isn't one that can put up a debate because they don't deal in facts. All right, next email comes from Fred, another gentleman who's been on the show. Mike, just a quick note about the two latest episodes. I thoroughly enjoyed the podcast with Emmy. It was definitely great to hear her point of view, and I hope she'll be on again in the future. You're right. I'm talking about Brian, but I should mention Emmy, too. That was a great show. She is a great guest. And uh, if she's willing, she's more than welcome to come back on the show anytime. He continues, now on to Brian. Oh boy, I tried to listen to one of his podcasts when you first announced that he was going to be on. To put it bluntly, I get more enjoyment prepping for a a colonoscopy. (laughs) I barely made it past the intro part. It was difficult to listen to. I did feel bad, though. I saw he had no reviews, so I fixed it for him. He now has one one one-star review when he was on Rational Boomer. The only analogy I can think of is that he was a creepy old guy at a bar trying to hit on a 20-something-year-old woman. Yes, Mike, you are the 20-something-year-old woman in this analogy. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) It was quite entertaining to hear him stumble when presented with facts. It's easy to see why he probably has very few listeners. One more thing. Do you know Ed's Twitter handle? I do. And it is I am I said Ed. I am, uh, the first I is capitalized. I am I said Ed. If you have an interest, check out Ed on Twitter. Fred says he wants to follow him. As always, keep up the good work, and I look forward to doing another show with you. And yes, Fred, you're welcome anytime. You put on a good show when you were with us the last time. He's been with us twice, I think. All right, next one is coming from who? I got some long ones here. Okay, this is coming from Daniel. Boomer, I've heard your podcast with a T-Rump supporter. It was very frustrating to hear it. His basis for supporting T-Rump lacked substance and credibility. He kept bringing up the same talking points that these Trump supporters keep bringing up. Some of my takeaways. Number one, 2017 tax cut. He doesn't seem to understand that the projected $2 trillion impact to the national deficit that affects us all in the future because he doesn't immediately see it on his paycheck. He thinks that it doesn't affect him or his family. He doesn't see that, for example. Federal funds help school districts, whereas kids attend school. Money that could have gone to education is now cutting taxes for the rich. Number two, election credibility. He believes that because T. Rump was ahead on election night that he couldn't possibly lose. T. Rump supporters, uh, they don't seem to know that absentee votes are nonetheless votes. I believe most Biden voters cast their votes by absentee, thereby counting millions of votes would take longer, thereby the counts wouldn't real, weren't realized until later in the election. I tried to explain that to him, but I don't think he grasped it. 
Number three, news source. His news source seems to come from typical sources, Fox, Newsmax, and such. He doesn't realize his news source lack credibility. I believe the poorly educated that T. Rump refers to is this guy. He seems to vote against his own interest, if he is even voted at all. I hope you find another T. Rump supporter that could bring something credible to your podcast table. Daniel. As I pointed out, Daniel, I don't think such a animal exists. I'll be happy to talk to any Trump follower after this. But I tell you this, when, when we first set this up for him to be on the show, he says, well, you'll have to be on my show. And I said, well, once we get done with my show, if you really want that, I would be happy to show up. He didn't seem as anxious to have me on his show, and I'm not surprised. And if I was going to recommend something to him, I would recommend not to have me on his show. There's really nothing for me to gain from being on the show. I'm just talking to a bunch of other people that don't listen to reason, that don't understand the truth or facts. No matter what I say, they aren't going to believe a thing, and they're going to get mad at me. And, and I will say this to you about Brian. I don't want anybody going after or harassing Brian. I don't hate the kid. I think he's way off base. I wanted to set him down, talk to him, to see if I could get through to him, and show people what Trump are truly about. Well, I think you saw what Trump truly are about. There aren't good ones. They're all like Brian or worse. But at the same time, <clears throat> it does no good to go after these people. You can't change their minds. I know in that whole conversation, the one one goal I wanted to accomplish, I didn't. I didn't change his mind. He didn't listen to anything. He doesn't listen to reason or facts. So nothing was changed. All right, the next one comes from Ted. Mike, you'll probably get lots of emails from that, that show. I commend you for doing it and brying. He commends Brian for being willing to participate. And I said that on the show. I give him credit for showing up. Nobody else did. (laughs) Ted, however, goes on and says, However, I feel like I lost about 50 IQ points just listening to him. Almost everything he tried to make a point about comes from unproven conspiracies or talking points straight out of InfoWars and other such sources. You handled it well, and he rarely could respond with any cohesion to any points you made. But I was glad to hear some random person claim that some random Supreme Court clerk overheard the Chief Justice screaming some nonsense regarding overturning the election. How ridiculous. Yet he stuck to it because one person said that they heard about it. He kept harping on the economy and that everybody, he used everybody a lot, sounds like some orange guy we know, was voting Republican because of it, even when you offered evidence to the contrary. And the pipelines, seriously, get some facts, dude. I hope you can find more intelligent debate partners, but I doubt they even exist. I, I agree with you, Ted. I don't think they do. The only thing that I might run into is somebody that's more volatile, and then that makes the whole debate pointless. Thanks for all you do and for being willing to try this, Ted. Thank you, Ted. And this next one comes from Ilona. Now, she's written before, too. 
Hi, Mike. Kudos to Brian for having the courage to come on and spar with you. He is not a coward like some of his fellow Trumplicans. His reliance on entertainment sources for news put him at a disadvantage, though. This is the typical yet maddening issue when debating with Trump supporters. They will never admit that their sources of information are suspect. They believe their media lies and those from the Trump machine. If you try to talk about what true independent journalism looks like, they default to saying all news sources are biased. There's no place to go when this happens. Trust me, I know. You already knew how it would play out, Mike. Thanks for keeping it classy. I don't know if I kept it classy, but I did know how this was going to turn out. I wasn't concerned about it at all. I knew this wasn't going to go well for Brian. Brian is not a bad person, which is the case for the Trump humpers in my family. The propaganda they're reading and listening to is resonating on a deep level within them. Why is that? To state the obvious, we need a better public education system. It's too easy to slip through the cracks the way it's set up now. Many atypical learners get left behind if they don't have a parent conscientiously advocating for them. With the current teacher shortage, I see the situation getting worse, not better. And as I've said before, I think all problems in this country can be traced back to shitty parents. The poorly educated are easy targets for dictator wannabes. We also need churches out of education and government. I hate to say it, but churches... Like it when people don't think critically. I was deep into my church for the majority of my life. I left about 12 years ago. My thinking is much clearer now, and I'm not being fed their views and dogma weekly. Brian, if you're listening, thank you for being a good sport. That's coming from Ilona, and it's coming from me too, Brian. I I appreciate you coming on, and I don't mean to beat you up, but I have a problem with people who support other people that are trying to destroy this country. And forgive me if I'm not sympathetic. I think that is a bridge too far, and I don't think there's any coming back from that. Thanks, as always, for your show, Mike Alona. All right. What do we got? One more here? We had a lot of them, and I guess I'm not surprised. Ah, boy. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We have one more. Hey, Mike, like others, I discovered you on TikTok and have been listening religiously to your podcast for nearly a year. I'm also in my 60s, a bit older than you, and share many of the same beliefs that you do, other than the football team that you support. Well, <clears throat> of course, I live in Minnesota, supported the Minnesota Vikings when I was young. I don't feel that strong a tie to any sports team anymore, but I get what you're saying. I'm a registered independent and have voted in every presidential election since Nixon and have voted for both parties over the years. I lean more to the liberal side, and now that the true corrupt, self-serving, fucked-up, evil face of the Republicans has been exposed, consider me a full-blown libtard. Below are a couple of things I want to discuss. I listened to your podcast today with your guest, Brian, and he proved to live up to what you'd expect from every Trumplefuck I've ever encountered. They spew the garbage, the lies, the conspiracy theories that are force-fed to them through their news agencies, Fox News, Newsmax, 
and other far-right bullshit media outlets. He had zero facts to back up anything he stated as a fact, and you made him look like a fool that he is as eloquently as you could without totally destroying him. Um, we, we, <laughs> and that was that was a concerted effort. I I didn't I didn't want to destroy the kid. And to be perfectly honest, in a normal situation, if I'm dealing with a confrontational Trumplefuck, I will do everything I can to destroy them, at least verbally. <clears throat> when you briefly stated that the tariffs Trump imposed on China helped cause inflation, he snickered like he, of course, didn't believe it, but it never was really discussed further by you, too, I I didn't see any point because I don't think he even understands what tariffs are. Let me explain the tariffs in terms that that Brian and his ilk can understand and how it instantly affected the economy in a negative way. I'm an importer of seasonal products selling to the home center industry specializing in seasonal areas. Spring and summer outdoor decor, solar lighting, pottery, patio furniture, and Christmas products. Prior to COVID, I traveled to China two to three times a year for a couple of weeks uh, at a time and have been there over 40 times, from Shenyang in the north to Shenzhen in the south. I have teamed station. I have a team stationed in Shanghai and have many relationships with factory owners, so I'm pretty educated in this real area. When Trump imposed the tariffs on seasonal goods, typically 25 percent, the factories simply raised their cost to me 26 to 28 percent. And in turn, I had to raise my cost to home center industry 28 to 30 percent. So in other words, a patio set that you saw at a retail prior to the tariffs for $7.99 was now $9.99 for the same exact set. So all the tariffs did raise retails to the consumer. To us, Trump's statement when he imposed the tariffs, we don't need China. We're going to bring back this manufacturing back to America. Well, that's a great statement. But when China's factory workers were making $40 a week and the American furniture makers want $40 an hour, that will never happen anytime soon. The other thing I wanted to discuss is the seven-month time frame when the DOJ was trying to get the second batch of classified documents back. Many people have said, why the hell didn't the DOJ just go and get the damn things? Well, in my opinion, that's a good question. And along those lines, I have a question for you. Since the DOJ knew at that point that Trump had highly classified documents, some of them with names of our assets across the world, do you think that they may have, I don't know, tapped his phones to see who uh, he is talking to? Perhaps realigned a satellite pointing down to Mar-a-Lago to see who's coming and going? Maybe place an agent inside the resort as a gardener to monitor activities, all in the hopes of nailing his ass down to exactly who he's working with. It just seems bizarre to me that given the highly sensitive nature and life-threatening situation with our assets, that they would fuck around for seven months. Would love to hear your opinion. I agree. It was too long. But to come to some of your points here, first of all, it's a touchy situation anytime you investigate and ultimately indict a former president. 
the norms would say you don't do that. But of course, we know Donald Trump broke all the norms, so the norms should be broken for the DOJ as well. Uh, you you suggested maybe they have a um, gardener, keep an eye on things and keep them informed. Well, there was a whistleblower that works in Donald Trump's little group there. So maybe that's who that was. They apparently did have somebody inside that fed them information. Um, why didn't they tap his lines, his telephone lines? Well, maybe they did. I mean, think about this. We're going to talk about this in a moment. But uh, we had this picture. Donald Trump went to uh, Virginia. Everybody thought he was going to get arrested or searched or whatever. That isn't what happened. Even though I heard a lot of TikTokers say, done deal, Donald Trump's arrested, he's in jail, shut up. I can't stand it when people say shit and they don't know. And I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. The Democrats can go after those conspiracy theories too. And Jesus Christ, we're better than that, don't you think? But think about the picture we just saw yesterday. He went to this golf course. He's standing on one of the holes. He's got nine other people around them. You can't really tell who they are. I think Newt Gingrich was there. Uh, Eric was there. I'm not sure who else was there. But they're all huddled around on this, on this hole, on this golf course. And only one of them has a golf club. There is no golf equipment. They had the uh, golf carts. And all the men are dressed to play golf, but they're all standing around. Why would they do that? Well, the way they might have done that, the reason they might have done that is because now that they've gotten this deep, they are fearful of being wiretapped. So they got to get outside someplace where they can't be tapped and try to get their, their stories straight because they got a lot of stories to fucking tell. Because we know that, uh, and we'll talk about it in a moment, that 40 subpoenas went out to a lot of Donald Trump uh, acolytes. So maybe maybe the phones are tapped. And then you talked about a um, uh, satellite pointed at Mar-a-Lago to get an idea who's coming and going. Well, they didn't need to do that. You'll remember the story where they said they subpoenaed surveillance tape, you know, security video from inside and they saw how they move these things from room to room move them out of boxes and such so i don't know about the satellite but it sounds like they did have some surveillance inside so (laughs) to answer your questions first of all they did have a mole inside if you will um they might very well be wiretapped at least donald trump probably thinks he's wiretapped And secondly, we had the surveillance video. Not quite the same as what you're describing, but I think when we're talking about the DOJ and the seriousness of a case like this, that um, there was probably a lot more going on than we knew. We may ultimately know about it. I think there's a lot more that they have in their back pocket against Donald Trump than we know. Like, for example... I think they probably have some evidence already that shows he distributed these documents to adversarial or enemy countries. We don't know all of what's going on, but we know that the DOJ is getting aggressive, getting real aggressive. And we'll talk about that right after we take this quick break. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, the big news yesterday was that the Justice Department has seized the phones of two top advisors to former President Donald Trump and blanketed his aides with about 40 subpoenas and a substantial escalation of the investigation into his efforts to subvert the 2020 election. People familiar with the inquiry said on Monday, this is apparently having to do with the fake electors too. Now, the seizure of the phones coupled with a widening effort to obtain information from those around Mr. Trump after the 2020 election represents some of the most aggressive steps in the department and what the department has taken thus far in its criminal investigation into the actions that led to the January 6, 2021 assault on the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob. See, this is the important thing to remember. All this is going on has nothing to do with the documents. It's all about January 6th and the planning of that. You see how this is starting to dump on Donald Trump and how it's getting untenable for him. Um, He's got the heat of the documents and the potential court cases there and the potential indictments. But while that's all going on, we still have this information about the January 6th insurrection and his connection to that. Everywhere this fucker turns, he's in trouble. And he knows it. And he's starting to get a little erratic when he posts on True Social. Uh, He's done some pretty wild shit. The extent of the investigation has come into focus in recent days, even though it has often been overshadowed by the government's legal clash with Mr. Trump and his lawyers over a separate inquiry into handling of the presidential records. Two totally different things, including highly classified materials the former president kept at his residence in in Florida at Mar-a-Lago. Not only kept them, not only took them, kept them, but lied to the FBI that he had them. Federal agents have court-authorized search warrants, took phones last week from at least two people, Boris Epstein, an in-house counsel, who helps coordinate Mr. Trump's legal efforts, and Mike Roman, a campaign strategist who was the director of Election Day operations for the Trump campaign in 2020. Anyway, Mr. Epstein and Mr. Roman have been linked to a critical element of Mr. Trump's bid to hold on to power. The effort to name slates of electors pledged to Mr. Trump from swing states won by President Biden in 2020 as part of a plan to block or delay congressional certification of Mr. Biden's Electoral College victory. Not only did they want to overtake the Capitol and stop it that way, they thought they'd have some slick way by creating these fake electors. Mr. Epstein and Roman did not respond to requests for comment. A Justice Department spokesman declined as well. Neither of those is really that surprising. Now, the names of those receiving the latest rounds of subpoenas in the investigation related to January 6th have dribbled out gradually with investigators casting a wide net on a range of issues, including Mr. Trump's post-election fundraising, 
and so-called fake electors scheme. One of the recipient one of the recipients said uh, was said to be Dan Scavino, who was the deputy uh, chief of staff right under Mark Meadows, Mr. Trump's former social media director as well. He handled dealings with the media. Um, he, he rose from working at a Trump-owned golf course to become one of the most loyal West Wing aides. Yeah, he worked at Trump's golf course. <laughs> and then he became a presidential aide, for God's sake, and has remained an advisor since Mr. Trump left office. Stanley Woodward, one of Mr. Scavino's lawyers, declined to comment. Another was Bernard Carrick, a former New York City police commissioner. Mr. Carrick, who promoted claims of voter fraud alongside his buddy, Rudy Giuliani was issued a subpoena by prosecutors with the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington. His lawyer, Timothy uh, Parlatore, said on Monday that his client had initially offered to grant an interview voluntarily. I bet he did. The subpoenas seek information in connection with the fake electors plan. For months, associates of Mr. Trump have uh, received subpoenas. They related to other aspects of the investigation in efforts to cling to power. But in a new line of inquiry, some of the latest subpoenas focus on the activities of the Save America Political Action Committee, the main political fundraising conduit for Mr. Trump since he left office. Wow, you think there's some illegal stuff going with the financials there with Donald Trump? Donald Trump can be thought of as a businessman. You can think he owns casinos or buildings or hotels or golf clubs. His real business is fraud. Everything he does is fraud. The fact that the Justice Department is now seeking information related to fundraising comes as the House Committee examining the January 6th attack has raised questions about money Mr. Trump solicited under the premises of fighting election fraud. Now, we know that the January 6th committee is going to meet again. The date I heard was September 28th. They said it was going to be September. It is going to be September. I think we all thought it was going to be earlier, but it's going to be September 28th. Some of you are probably saying, well, I don't want to wait. It's too long. It's too late. No, no, no. That's good. You know there's going to be more than one hearing, and if they're meeting on September 28th, that means there's going to be some meetings in October, which walk it right up to the November midterms, which is exactly what I told you they do. Now, the new subpoenas encompass a wide variety of those in Mr. Trump's orbit, from low-level aides to the most senior advisors. The Justice Department has spent more than a year focused on investigating hundreds of rioters who were on the ground at the Capitol on January 6th. But this spring, it started issuing grand, grand jury subpoenas to people like Ali Alexander, um, head of the Proud Boys, I believe, and the pro-Trump Stop the Steal group, who helped plan the march to the Capitol after Mr. Trump gave a speech that day at the Ellipse near the White House. Now, if you remember, uh, Ali Alexander was also texting with Ginny Thomas, and Ginny Thomas offered some money, some support, some advice, went into the White House. So when they start talking about where the funds were coming from in the upcoming January 6th hearings, expect those names to come up prominently. 
While it remains unclear how many subpoenas had been issued in that early round, the information they sought was very broad. Now, according to one subpoena obtained by the New York Times, they asked for any records or communications from people who organized, spoke at, or provided security for Mr. Trump's rally at the Ellipse. They also requested information about any members of the executive and legislative branch who may have taken part in planning or executing the rally or tried to obstruct, influence, impede, or delay the certification of the presidential election. Ah, there's the one. There's the one we wanted to hear. They want names and evidence of people, sitting members of Congress, members of Donald Trump's administration who were involved in the planning, the fundraising, what have you. This is where we're going to start to see sitting members of Congress get exposed for who they are and what they did. I told you this was coming. And in these next series of hearings, we're going to hear some names come to light. And these motherfuckers aren't going to be too happy. You can see it with the uh, members of Congress. Um, They're relatively quiet, but when they are, they seem frantic, and they have every reason to be frantic. I saw Marjorie Taylor Greene say, Can you believe they thought we helped with the insurrection? Well, bitch, we know you helped with the insurrection. We know that Lauren Boebert tweeted out locations of Nancy Pelosi and members of Congress during the insurrection. So, yeah, we know you helped. There's video of you fucks giving tours, reconnaissance tours to these Trump fucks. So you can deny it all you want, but the evidence is there. And I'm guessing the January 6th committee has a lot of evidence. And you notice what's going on here. The DOJ is sticking their nose into things. They are starting to get evidence from the January 6th committee. They have their own evidence that they've compiled. Now, what you have to understand is when the January 6th committee subpoenas people and they go, I don't really know if I want to come in. I am not really good. I don't I'm not feeling it, you know. Much different situation when we're talking about the DOJ. There is no half step in here. If the DOJ wants you to come in for a subpoena, you're fucking coming in or you're fucking going to jail. Now, by early summer, the grand jury investigation had taken another turn as several subpoenas were issued to state lawmakers and state Republican officials allied with Mr. Trump, who took part in a plan to create fake slates of pro-Trump electors in several key swing states, actually won by Mr. Biden. At least 20 of those subpoenas were sent out and sought information about and communications with several lawyers who took part in the fake elector scheme, including Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman. So these new hearings with the January 6th committee are going to expose a lot, but that's not the thing they need to worry about. They need to worry about the grand jury wanting to know all about this stuff because they can't play any political games with this. Like I said, you either show up for a subpoena or you're probably going to jail. You either tell the truth or if you lie, you're going to go to jail for perjury. If you plead the fifth, that's well and good. You can do that. But now you're just signaling those things that you were involved in that you're probably guilty of because you're actually saying you're guilty and that's why you're not responding. These people are getting cornered. This isn't going well for them and it's going to get steadily worse as time goes on. 
Donald Trump, as I said, was spotted on the greens of his Virginia golf course on Monday in a sighting that prompted wild speculation due in no special part to recent events. Now, the former president was seen in pictures touring the grounds of the Sterling property alongside a number of men, including Brad Enney, his director of grounds for the club. It wasn't immediately clear, but pictures appear to indicate that Mr. Trump was inspecting or giving a tour of the club's golf course with Trump organization figures. Working today, working today at Trump, Washington, D.C. on the Potomac River. What an incredible place. That's what he wrote on True Social. He felt like he needed to say something because of all the speculation. Is he getting arrested? Is he going to Walter Reed because he's sick? Is he being searched by the FBI? A lot of people threw things out. A lot of people said it was fact, and it wasn't. You're getting ahead of yourself here. Just fucking relax. Don't do the same things that the uh, Republicans do. That wasn't enough of an explanation for Twitter, however, which began a frenzy of speculation early on Monday morning after it was announced first that Mr. Trump was flying to the D.C. area. The trip to D.C., of course, occurred as Mr. Trump is thought to be the subject of two separate criminal investigations, one into the potentially illegal retention of classified materials at Mar-a-Lago and another regarding the events of January 6th. And these are just two of the things he's got problems with. We're not even talking about Georgia and Fonnie Willis. That indictment could come at any fucking point. Despite the former probe dominating headlines thanks to an unprecedented FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago on August 8th, the latter has also chugged along in recent days and on Monday developed further with subpoenas issued for dozens of Mr. Trump's top associates. As such, Twitter users joked or insisted seriously in some cases that the Sterling Golf Course meeting was actually a secret rendezvous between Mr. Trump and his attorneys or even a more sinister explanation. Some suggested that the president was trying to escape the prying eyes of the DOJ, a confusing hypothesis that didn't seem to explain why he would need or choose to hold such a meeting in the D.C. area, given his other properties up and down the East Coast. That's a private meeting, not a golf game, today in rainy Sterling, Virginia, tweeted one social media sleuth. Who is with him, and why no golf clubs? Why indeed? So, Glenn Kirshner, who's actually one of my favorite legal analysts on TV, so Donnie Soprano and Du Bois got together at the Bada Bing Golf Club to sort through some problems, quipped Glenn Kirshner, an NB, MSNBC legal analyst. Another Twitter user added, This smacks of wanting to have a conversation where they feel safe the feds aren't listening, trying to get away possible taps or bugs. Even Mr. Trump's former attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen, got in on the action. Many are asking why Mr. Mushroom Putter, (laughs) good one, was at his D.C. golf course, which is really in Virginia. He says to play golf. My sources say he was meeting with two lawyers in secrecy and didn't trust being at their offices. Notice there are no golf clubs on the court, wrote the ex-attorney. I got to admit, that's pretty compelling. You're on a golf course and you have no golf clubs. 
You maybe should have thought about that before you headed out to the links, Donnie. The account Duty to Warn tweeted, Trump was photographed today on his golf course not golfing. He continued not golfing the rest of the day. It's like they're plotting, like an Ocean's Eleven reboot. Mr. Trump and his allies continue to insist that the bevy of investigations he now faces are mere attempts at politically motivated prosecution, even as his Republican allies in Congress struggle to provide excuses to explain why top-secret classified documents would have been present at his Florida property without government's consent. You notice that? Donald Trump doesn't say none of the Trump LaFucks or the Republican sitting members of Congress. They can whine and they can complain about any number of things, but nobody's given a good answer as to why he had them. As I've said before, the only reason he would have them could be for nefarious reasons. That's who Donald Trump is. He's a grifter. If he wants leverage, if he wants um, evidence for blackmail, or he wants to make money, those documents were valuable to him. Former President Donald Trump reportedly told his aides. Now, here's an interesting story and, and something a lot of people speculated on at the time. But former President Donald Trump reportedly told his aides in the days after the 2020 defeat that he would not depart the White House, defiantly insisting, I'm just not going to leave. <laughs> this is coming from a book from, written by Maggie Haberman. Again, um, I think she's with the Times, New York Times, and I always liked her, too. She seems to be no-nonsense, and she's apparently had occasion to talk to Donald Trump. I don't know why he continues to talk to her, because she's definitely not a friend of his. I, I think maybe he's just impressed by her stature, and he thinks he can talk his way around her. Never has. Every time, Maggie Haberman slams the shit out of him. Trump reportedly told another aide, we're never leaving, according to the New York Times journalist book, Confidence Man, the making of Donald Trump and the breaking of America. How can you leave when you won an election? Well, Donald Trump knows as well as anybody he didn't win the election. He's just trying to lie, do what he's always done, tell a lie, continue to tell the lie until people believe it. Trump's apparent refusal to depart was later put on display on January 6, 2021, when he told his supporters that he would not concede because the election had been rigged or stolen from him, and that's why they got all worked up. You know, it's funny, I talk to uh, Trump LaFox, and they'll say, he didn't leave office because he never conceded, as if he has to concede to make the proper transition. He never has to concede. The fact that he didn't was just stupid and childish, but it had no bearing on who's going to be president. I mean, you don't get to vote a president in, and then when he's voted out, say, well, I'm not going to concede, so I'm just going to stay. Donald Trump's not a bright man. He's not a bright man. He, You know, as much as people want to make him out to be smart and playing 3D chess and all this shit, it's not the case. He's a dumb man that just spews whatever comes into his head at any given time, and he thinks it's a smart comment that's going to get him out from underneath whatever trouble he's in. 
Donald Trump went on to say, we will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved, he told his supporters that day while falsely claiming that Vice President Mike Pence could stop Congress from certifying the election results. Yeah, he did say that. And it's a lie. Mike Pence had no opportunity to do anything. He had no power to do it. His supporters later, of course, stormed the Capitol, resulting in multiple deaths. Now, Maggie Haberman won a Pulitzer Prize in 2018 for her reporting with the New York Times on Trump advisors and their connection with Russia's interference in the 2016 presidential election. Her new book is slated to release earlier next month. The book reportedly also states that Trump appeared to accept his defeat to President Joe Biden immediately after the November 3 election, according to comments he made to his aides. At a press conference later that month, he publicly contested the election results, but told reporters that he would leave the White House in January. Certainly I will. Certainly I will. And you know that. Well, you did. But um, you're like everybody that's been evicted or foreclosed on, and you decided to um, trash the White House before you left. Pretty typical. Nearly two years after his 2020 defeat, Trump has continued to contest the election's results late last month, insisting that he should be declared the rightful winner. (laughs) To this day, there has been no evidence found of widespread election fraud, something even Trump's former attorney general, William Barr has repeatedly noted. To this this day, there has been no evidence found of widespread election fraud, something even Trump's closest allies are even saying. It's pretty amazing. This is Donald Trump's strategy. Say something, even if it's not true, and just say it enough times, and a certain number of people will believe it. And that's obviously the case with everything Donald Trump's done since 2016. Now, former Barack Obama counsel Gregory Craig was indicted by Donald Trump's Justice Department. And according to a new book by a former prosecutor at the Southern District of New York, the case was all part of a partisan plot ahead of the election. The alleged directive came straight from the top, from Donald Trump. Now, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow got a copy of the book, which begins with Jeffrey Berman saying that he was told that as a Republican, he needed to take one for the team and do the indictments against Democrats to even the score. There had been some Republicans that had been indicted. My lead deputy, Robert Kuzami, received an urgent phone call from the top official at the U.S. Department of Justice, Berman's book begins. The 2018 midterm elections were less than two months away. The results would determine not just which party would control the House and the Senate, but also if the next two years of the Trump presidency would be plagued by investigations. He spoke with a high-level Trump political appointee at the Justice Department. His message was unambiguous. It was time for me, Jeffrey Berman, the U.S. Attorney of the Southern District of New York and lifelong Republican, it was time for me to take one home for the team. 
Kuzami came into Berman's office. You're not going to believe the conversation I just had with Ed O'Callaghan before sharing the details. The top leadership at DOJ wanted me to bring criminal charges against a private attorney who had once been President Barack Obama's White House counsel, and they wanted me to bring those charges before Election Day. You've got to be fucking kidding me, Berman recalled, saying, I wish, he said, but no. You see what Donald Trump was doing? He was using the SDNY as a weapon to go after his opponents. He was trying to settle the score after Republicans had been indicted. Now, of course, we know this is highly illegal, but that, of course, doesn't stop Donald Trump. He said there's no evidence of any law that he'd broken. O'Callaghan kept reminding Kuzami that the SDNY had already prosecuted, prosecuted two high-profile Trump loyalists, Chris Collins and former Trump fixer Michael Cohen. It's time for you guys to even things out, O'Callaghan said. It didn't matter if they were guilty. It didn't matter if they committed a crime. They just wanted to even the score. Of course, Berman refused. And, of course, he was fired and fired loudly. Now, he's speaking out saying that Bill Barr, Jeffrey Rosen, Ed O'Callaghan, and Rich Donahue all used the Justice Department to fight Trump's opponents or anyone even associated with the Democrats. It's interesting that he mentions Bill Barr because uh, Bill Barr has been on a redemption tour trying to make him look like the reasonable guy, the guy that tried to get him to do the right things but couldn't. Bill Barr is just as culpable as anybody, and Michael Cohen even said it. He should be investigated and indicted as well, and I have a feeling he will be. Now, the book goes on and on about ethical breaches, illegal behavior, and details that could end in disparring several lawyers. Monday evening, the Senate Judiciary Committee announced that it would be conducting a hearing into the accusations included in the Berman book. So the messes continue, the fights continue, the problems for Donald Trump and all his little Trumplefucks get worse and worse every day. There was a time when I was listening to people say, when is Mayor Garland going to do something? When is the DOJ going to do something? (laughs) Well, Merrick Garland and the DOJ at this point is busier than a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. He is, uh, he's pretty busy now. He's got a lot of things going. He's got a few grand juries. He's got investigations. He's got uh, subpoenas. He's got searches. Don't tell me Merrick Garland's not doing anything or he's not taking this seriously. Clearly, he is. And clearly, he's meticulous about these things. But that's fine if that's what it takes. I'm not sure if we'll see indictments before the election, but that may not matter. All that's going to come out in the January 6th hearings. We don't need the indictments. We just need the information exposed to the general public. As I said, with these January 6th hearings, the first coming up September 28th, we are going to see who helped to finance this, who helped to to, uh, plan it, who helped to coordinate it. And unfortunately, some of those people will be the likes of Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Ginny Thomas, and sitting members of Congress. When these January 6th hearings, that shit's going to blow up. But keep in mind, at that point, it's just about exposing the evidence. 
But what we're seeing out of the DOJ is shortly thereafter, they open up their own investigation, send out their own subpoenas and potential indictments. This isn't going anywhere for Donald Trump, but badly. This isn't going anywhere but badly for the Republicans. And this is timing out to be just perfect. We're going to get the first January 6th hearing late September. I'm guessing we'll get at least a couple more in October. And then early November, we have the midterm elections. You take all the information that's going to come out on that. And then you take all the information and possible indictments coming out from Georgia. You probably won't see an indictment there till after the election. And then we've got the January 6th DOJ grand jury. Uh, there's a lot of shit going on. A lot of shit is going to happen. They don't have to send out the indictments to win the midterms. But watch this. When the Democrats take the House and the Senate, maybe even expand their um, majorities, it is going to get bloody and ugly. And I, I say bloody in kind of a I don't mean that literally. There's not going to be fighting in the streets. What I mean is it's like Bloody Friday or Bloody Saturday, whatever it was when Nixon, when people get fired. There's going to be a lot of people exposed. There's going to be a lot of people indicted. There's going to be a lot of people prosecuted and a lot of people going to jail. And these will be people around Donald Trump. These 40 subpoenas that came out is an interesting signal. You note that the people that were subpoenaed were very close to Donald Trump. That means they're very close to nailing Donald Trump himself. It's taken a long time, but this thing is progressing nicely, and it's going exactly the way it should. It is going to destroy the Republicans for the midterms, and it's going to take down a lot of Trump and Trump acolytes after the fact. This is timing out pretty well. Now, assuming the midterms go as I expected, Congress can go at uh, the things they want to do, like codifying Roe v. Wade or maybe passing some other bills. They shouldn't have any problem with that. With any hopes, they will also address the filibuster issue and get rid of that motherfucking thing. That is no value to the people of this country at all, regardless of if you're a Democrat or Republican. But there'll be a lot of changes. And all that's happening with the investigations and the hearings and the searches and such, all working against the Republicans. Each one of these things make the Republicans look badly. And when it comes to the midterms, that's where they will pay the price. All right. We are going to wrap things up for yet another Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you all for taking time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.